What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Moses and Yahweh were talking. Well, I think Moses was more listening than talking. I mean, he had to listen to a lot of instructions. He had to hear about how long the top of the Ark of the Covenant had to be, for instance. And God gave clear directions on how long the tent had to be, the tent that would become the tabernacle, what it was supposed to look inside, and what type of skins could be used for the tent covering. And and then God gave directions on the ephod that the priest wore and had to look this way and to be so long. And, And then the God of all the universe gave directions on how his altar outside his tabernacle had to be covered in bronze and everything inside the tabernacle had to be covered in gold and so on and so forth and on and on and I'm wondering if Moses is thinking man I am thankful that God is gonna write all this down God eventually gives all of this on tablets of stone and he writes it with it says the finger of God And I think Moses must have been very thankful that he was going to write all of this down because how would you remember it? And Moses listened. And I think through it all, Moses also heard Yahweh speak and share his love for the people of Israel. And talking about the plans for the tent that he would have to dwell with his people, right? We talk about this as a tabernacle, but essentially it's a tent. And the people of Israel were also in tents. And God... If I'm going to be with the people, I need to dwell in a tent. Now, it's a beautiful tent, and in many ways it's more glamping than camping, right? Gold and bronze. I mean, this was a massive tent. It was a massive tabernacle in comparison to the people's tents around the tabernacle. But the big idea was this, that Yahweh, the God of the universe, he's not a distant God. He's not far off. No, he wants to be with his people. He wants to dwell with them. And to do that, if they're intense, guess what? Yahweh 
His dwelling place will be in a tent as well. It says later on that God spoke to Moses as a friend would talk to a friend. And I wonder if Moses finally came to the understanding that this is a loving, merciful God. Because later on, he would tell the people, do not fear. Don't fear Yahweh. Don't be afraid of him. Fear him out of awe. Fear him out of respect and holiness. But I wonder if Moses is beginning to discover that Yahweh is love. And as Moses talks and listens and, and learns more about Yahweh, I wonder if Moses is also excited about the future and the covenant that Israel is about to make with this wonderful God. You know, I also wonder, how did God appear to Moses? Did he appear as a human on top of the mountain talking to Moses? So if you saw it, you'd be like, oh, there's two men talking to each other. Or did he appear in a cloud of glory talking to Moses? You know, I think he appeared in human form myself. A man talking to Moses. Imagine, God in human form talking to Moses, everything wonderful on top of this mountain, having a great conversation together. What an awesome moment for 40 days and 40 nights talking and God instructing and sharing and having this conversation when all of a sudden, one of Moses begins to notice that Yahweh begins to visibly become angry. Yahweh says, go, Moses, go deal with your people who you brought out of Egypt. Previously, he had called them his people, but now he's calling them your people? Moses, they're your people? They're no longer mine? Go deal with your people that you brought out of Egypt? Go deal with them, for they are committing a terrible sin before me. A terrible sin. They're acting corruptly. They're acting so corruptly, you need to leave. And I will destroy them in my anger. I will wipe them out in my anger. And I will begin anew, is what Yahweh says to Moses. I will begin a new nation with you. What would you do? If you were Moses, would you take that offer? Would you let God begin a new nation with you and wipe out the people of Israel? Now remember, these were people who a couple of months earlier tried to stone you. These were people who would come and complain every day. They'd complain about the food. They'd complain about their neighbor. They'd complain about the sand. They'd complain about everything. And these people would whine and whine and whine and complain and complain. And they made your life terrible day after day after day. Man, he'd be tempted to take that off, right? Wipe them all out and start a new nation with you? And then the other question is, Why? What is happening that God wants to judge them in such wrath and anger and wants to wipe them out to begin a new nation of Israel with Moses and only Moses? What in the world is happening? Well, to begin with, remember, by the time we come to Exodus 32, Moses has been gone for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been separated from Israel. The people of Israel have not seen their leader for over a month. 
God called them up the mountain, right? After they had ratified their covenant, after they had said, yes, we will have a covenant with Yahweh. Yes, and God said, remember, if you keep my commandments, I will bless you, I will bless you. If you break my commandments, I will curse you, I will curse you. And they said, yes, we will make that covenant with Yahweh. And they heard basically commandment one through 10. They heard the 10 commandments. They knew what God required of them, at least there. And based on that, they were willing to have a covenant between the people of Israel and Yahweh. And so Moses now goes back up the mountain and he's going to receive the rest of the law. He's going to hear from God all the details about building the tabernacle, all the details of how God wants his people to live. And he's gone and day one he's gone. Well, that's a lot of information. It's going to take a while. Day two, day three, day seven, day 14. He's gone eventually 40 days and 40 nights. Over a month, Moses is gone. And I think around day 20 or day 22, in my head, I think that's when the people begin to get worried. And then around day 30, I think they finally think Moses is dead. And you know what? We can't wait around anymore. We're leaderless. We've been sitting here for over a month. And they looked at the fire on the mountain where God dwelt. And they probably thought Moses had been consumed. So they go to Aaron, Moses' second in charge, his vice president. And they demanded Aaron give them direction. They basically said, up, get up, Aaron. Give us gods that we can follow. And the thing is, these people, they weren't nice. Now imagine you are Aaron, and it seems that the leaders of the people are not just politely asking. Instead, they're demanding, and they are threatening. That's how the people, it seems, come to Aaron. The leaders of the people wanted a god. They wanted leadership, and they wanted Aaron to do something. Aaron. He was afraid of the people. And so Aaron could have given them leadership. He could have reminded them of commandment number two, that they were not supposed to make any graven image representing Yahweh. He could have remembered commandment number one, that they weren't supposed to have any gods before them. But instead, Aaron says, bring me your gold earrings. And the people did. They brought thousands of them. And then Aaron took those gold earrings, melted them down, and crafted a golden calf. A golden calf. Now, why a bull? Why did he craft a golden bull, a golden calf? Why that animal? Well, in the ancient Near East, bulls were often a symbol of fertility and deity. And, and remember, the people of Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years. And the bull in that area was a major symbol for one of their gods. And they hadn't really known Yahweh for very long. And remember, they didn't have a sacred book. They didn't have a Bible yet. They didn't have the written word of God. And so a lot of them are going back to their Egyptian roots. 
And they're saying, you know what? If we can't see God, let's at least build an idol where maybe this God will come and dwell. Because I don't think the people and Aaron created some new God that they then worshipped in the shape of a bull. No. I think they instead were trying to find a way to worship Yahweh, the God at the top of the mountain. Because in the ancient Near East, they would often build an idol that the God would then inhabit. They would worship the idol as a God, but they knew that God was not the idol, but rather that the God would inhabit that idol. What the people wanted was for Aaron to give them an idol so they could call on Yahweh who would then come down and inhabit that idol. It was a way for them to localize the worship of Yahweh. And remember, this was the practice the people were used to growing up in Egypt. And they'd lived among these practices, like I said, for 400 years. They were taking what they knew, their Egyptian worldview, all that messed up stuff, worshiping other idols. They were taking all that and they were trying to meld it into some wrong-headed attempt to worship Yahweh. Well, Aaron, instead of pointing him in the right direction, hey, that breaks commandment number two. Hey, you shouldn't worship any other gods. You're breaking commandment number one. Instead of giving them leadership like that, no, Aaron takes their gold earrings and melts them down, and out of that molten gold then creates this golden calf. And then he builds an altar in front of this golden calf idol. Then he invites the people to come. In fact, he says, tomorrow, come to this idol and we will worship Yahweh. He connects the two for him. We're going to worship Yahweh by worshiping in front of this golden calf. What? And the Bible says that the people, the next day when Aaron invited them to come worship Yahweh at this golden calf idol, the Bible says they rose up to play. Now, sadly, the word play there implies that the people rose up to worship Yahweh in very bad and moral ways. Their worship ended up being sexual in nature, and it caused the people to act in ways that they lacked control. And as the Bible says, it caused the people to break loose and lose restraint. It broke commandment number two, and it also led to multiple sins of fornication. And all of this, Yahweh explicitly stood against, and the people knew it. Their actions were wild, sexual in nature. And the Bible says what they were doing made them a laughingstock to the other nations. They were out of control, dancing like insane people and all this bad stuff happening around this golden calf. And guess what? God saw it all. And he knew exactly what the people were doing. Yahweh is at the top of the mountain with Moses, but he knew hundreds of feet below that the people were breaking the very covenant that God was just now establishing with Moses. All those requirements, the very covenant he's setting up, they're breaking. And this made Yahweh very sad. 
and very angry. And to Moses, he says, they're your people that you brought out of Egypt. Remember, I said he'd earlier called them his people, but not anymore. Now they were Moses' people. He was distancing himself from their sinful ways. He was also preparing to wipe them out and to start fresh with Moses, whose heart he knew and he trusted, right? And God says, I'm tired of their stubborn and stiff-necked ways. He wanted a people who had a heart to follow him, just like Moses. And so Yahweh made his offer. He goes to Moses and says, I will wipe them out in my anger and start again with you. Will you take it, Moses? If you were Moses, would you take that offer? Why would you not? You could be the father of a nation. You could get rid of all those whining, complaining people who want to stone you behind your back. Later on, the Bible describes Moses as the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth. And it is here in this story, in this moment, where I think we see the humility of Moses. Because instead of taking the offer, Moses instead pleads for the people of Israel. The very people who wanted to stone him earlier, Moses is now pleading for Yahweh to spare their lives. I think this shows a lot about the heart of Moses Or I think this shows a lot about the heart that God is developing in Moses. Moses intercedes for the people. Forgive them, Moses says. Because, Yahweh, if you don't forgive them, your name will no longer be seen as great among the nations. And you made certain promises to these people's forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. And if you wipe them out, you're going to break those promises. Now, if God had started again with Moses, those promises would still be true as Moses was a descendant of Abraham. But Moses still makes this argument for your great name, Yahweh, for your glory and to keep your promises. Do not wipe these people out. And the Bible says that God listens. He listens to Moses and the Bible says that God relented. He changed his mind and he decided to not wipe the people of Israel out. Man, I think that's amazing. Moses here showed great compassion for the people. I think God was developing Moses to have a love and a compassion for these stiff-necked, irritating people that he's going to have to spend all these years leading in the wilderness as they wandered, right? God is developing in Moses a love for these people. Well, Moses now heads down the mountain. Halfway down, he meets up with Joshua, who's been on the mountain waiting for Moses and has no clue what is happening down at the very bottom of the mountain. So they both begin to descend. And as they get closer and closer to the bottom, they begin to hear the people in their revelry and singing and sadly in their sinning, in their debauchery. When Moses finally sees what the people are doing, he is so angry. He is so furious. He takes the tablets of stone above his head and he smashes them down on the ground. 
Now remember, these tablets were written by the very hand of God, the Bible says, and Moses just smashes them. Now, I don't think he did this simply out of anger. Moses was angry, yes, but I believe he smashed them to visualize to the people of Israel that the covenant they had made earlier, it's now broken. It's destroyed. Because of your sin, this covenant that you made earlier, like these tablets, are broken and smashed. Moses then confronts the altar and he goes up to the altar and he knocks it over and he goes up to the golden calf and he knocks it down and then he takes that golden calf and the Bible says he grinds it into powder and then he took that ground up calf, threw it into water and made the people drink it. It says in Deuteronomy 9 verse 21, I took the sinful calf you had made and burned it. I crushed it thoroughly grinding it to powder as fine as dust and threw its dust into the stream that came down from the mountain. And then Bible says he made them drink it. He then questions his brother Aaron. That's the next person he talks to. Aaron, by contrast to Moses, had a heart for himself. He didn't stand up to the people. He was afraid. Well, when Moses confronts him, guess what? Aaron absolutely lies. He says, the, the people came to me with gold earrings and, and, and I just threw them into this fire and then out came a calf. I, I don't know where this golden calf came from. It wasn't my fault. It just came out. What was I to do? It wasn't my fault. And that's the problem, right? When you sin, when you're caught in a sin, you always blame other people. Later on, again, in Deuteronomy 9, Moses, reflecting back on this event, he says he had to pray to the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy 9, verse 20, the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But I prayed for Aaron at that time also. He interceded for the people of Israel. He interceded for, for Aaron, his brother. Then he walks away from Aaron. And he sees the chaos in front of him. And then Moses stands at one of the gates to the entrance of all the people of Israel. One of the entrances to the camp. He stands there. And Moses yells out a question, which is still an important question today. And it's a question I want you to think about. Who is on the Lord's side? That's what he yells out. Who was on Yahweh's side amidst all this debauchery, revelry, partying, bad stuff, drunken, bad things happening? He yells out, who is on the Lord's side? You know, I think it's a good question to ask today. Who is on the Lord's side? Sometimes life is crazy. And you feel like you're living in the middle of a chaotic mess? It's a good question to ask yourself. What does it mean to be on the Lord's side? And, and how can I be on the Lord's side today? Today? I think it begins with choosing Jesus. Saying, I'm going to obey him. Well, in Moses' day, only one tribe came. When he yelled out, who is on the Lord's side? Only one tribe came showed up. Only one tribe came to join him. 
the tribe of Levi. Now, the tribe of Levi will later inherit the priesthood because of their obedience and loyalty here. The Bible says that they're going to be honored with the right to serve in the temple because of their choice here. And they're chosen also because of their obedience and carrying out the commands of God. Because Moses says, all right, listen. Every man, this is what he's saying to the tribe of Levi surrounding him as the chaos is around him. And the people of the tribe of Levi showed up when he yelled out, who is on the Lord's side? Well, Moses says to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Every man, fasten his sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance. And each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. Wow. And the men of the tribe of Levi, they obeyed. They carried out the commands of God. But you know how tough that must have been? To kill your friend. And maybe even your own brother. But they did it. And they chose obedience over being popular. They chose obedience to the things of God over an easy route out. You know, it would have been so easy to say, well, you know, I'm just going to let you go. I won't really kill you. Or do you really think God meant that? Here, I'll just ruffle your hair. Uh, I might cause you some pain, but I won't actually kill you. No. They were obedient. And it says that the tribe of Levi... They killed about 3,000 men that day. And by living in obedience, Moses says, because you chose obedience, because you were on the Lord's side, because you obeyed to be on the Lord's side, guess what? That will bring upon you a blessing. Moses says in chapter 32, verse 29, talking to the tribe of Levi. Today you have been dedicated to the Lord since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. Because of their obedience, they would gain the right to lead the people in the worship of Yahweh and to be in the tabernacle and in the presence of God every day. What an honor and what a blessing, right? And I think that's a truth to remember. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings sorrow. Well, Moses again intercedes for the people. Because after the problem had been dealt with, after much pain and sorrow and suffering, Moses knew the people's sin still had to be atoned for. The word atone means to make people who are now unclean clean before God. To reconcile people who are defiled, to make them acceptable to God once again. Moses seeks atonement for the people. 
I mean, Moses said to the people, you have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Moses sought atonement through interceding to God, through prayer, essentially. Now, in the coming years, the people of Israel sought atonement through ritual sacrifices. The coming Old Testament system of sacrifices will use. But here, atonement comes through Moses' verbal intercession with Yahweh, not by means of sacrifice. Today, as Christians, right, we have atonement with God. We are clean before God. We have been reconciled to God. How? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But in this moment, Moses sought atonement through interceding, through prayer, through pleading with Yahweh. So Moses goes back up the mountain and again he pleads for the people. And he asks God, please forgive these people for their grievous sin. And Moses goes so far as to say that if God would not forgive them, he would prefer to have his name, Moses' name, removed from the book of the living, essentially. And he says, I would rather have my name removed from the book or be killed than continue leading an unforgiven, unreconciled people. Because of Moses' intercession, God again relented and he says, all right, I will forgive them. But God also promised that those who had sinned would be removed from the book. Now it just says the book and the Old Testament speaks of three divine books. The book of the living, Psalm 69 verse 28, and it includes the names of all living people. Then there's another book called the books of divine decrees or predestined events. And then there's a third book called the Book of Remembrance, where good and evil deeds are recorded. So Moses suggests that God keeps track of and can easily recall all people's actions and events. And so essentially, I think Moses, when he says, I want my name removed from the book if you don't forgive these people, he's saying, remove my name from the book of the living. That's what I think it is. In that book, God has the names of all living people, and he says, basically, kill me. Because I'd rather be in heaven with you rather than be down here with these people and lead people who are unforgiven and unreconciled. Please forgive them. And like I said, God does forgive them. But God also, he says, I'll forgive them. But then he also sends a plague amongst the people to punish the nation for their willful disobedience. Man, their disobedience brought them so much sorrow, didn't it? Did this plague only kill those who were not the leaders? I think the day before, the Levites killed 3,000 men. And I think they were all the men, essentially, who led the people in this pagan worship. And I think God killed them on that day. But then this plague the next day, did it kill just the people who weren't the leaders, but they definitely participated in the pagan worship? They definitely participated in in breaking commandment number two. Did the plague only kill them who were participants in this sin of idolatry? 
Or maybe this plague wasn't that selective, and it killed randomly. And maybe God used this to show the people of Israel that national sins have real consequences, and that when one person sins like this, it hurts the whole nation, not just those who committed the sins. You know, I'm not certain, but either way, the people of Israel paid a heavy, heavy price for their sin. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul mentions this episode, this golden calf, to remind his readers and me and you to learn, to learn from those who have gone before. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6-7, Now, these things took place as examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Paul says we've got to learn from these stories. We've got to learn from these terrible things. And so in the end, what do we learn from this story? I think, first of all, we learned that Moses was incredibly humble. And he chose to intercede for the people rather than start a new nation with him. And I think Moses had a compassion for his people and a love for his people. Later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer writes, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses had great humility. And he took that humility and compassion and he chose to stick with the people and to intercede for them and he loved them. I think God was developing in Moses a great faith and a great heart that would then help him to lead these people in the coming years of wilderness wanderings. I think we can learn to be humble. Man, we've got to pursue humility and humbleness. Let's all be like Moses. I think secondly, we can also learn from the story that idols are evil. And they will lead you away from the true worship of Jesus. And we may not have physical idols in our homes anymore. But you know that thing you hold up as an idol. Whether it's a money or a person or a job. That you say, I would rather have that than obey God here. I would rather pursue that than obey God in this thing. Well, I would rather have that and then I'll sort of bring Jesus into it and sort of make it Right, even though I know it breaks God's commands, but I'd rather have that. The Bible says, don't be idolatrous. I think the third and final thing we can learn from this story is that obedience brings blessing. No matter how hard it is to obey sometimes, remember that truth. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience to God's word Disobedience to God's clearly written commands will always bring sorrow. But obedience to God's words will always bring blessing. We may not see it in this life. 
And obeying God's commands may bring temporary pain, temporary suffering, but it will bring blessing. And maybe your blessing will be in heaven one day when you are face to face with Jesus and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember that truth. Obey no matter what the cost. Because obedience will always bring blessing. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.